Welcome back to Stuff and Uncommon Sense, where we look at some things that I've found useful for being a human in the 21st century. It's a laid-back place for ideas and chat, and some techniques that have been drawn from 20 years of learning and delivering NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, and other good things to understand how people tick. I'm Alan Johnson, that NLP bloke. I'm a trainer and therapist with Change Working. Be comfortable, enjoy this down-to-earth, irreverent and no-nonsense practical approach to understanding NLP and more. Episode 4, NLP Basics Part 1. How we take in the outside world to create our own unique inside world. So, I thought it would be useful just to give you some background around NLP, how it works, where it all comes from. I know some of you have trained with me, or you've probably trained in NLP in other places. Uh, so it's good, useful. It's a useful recap for those of you that have done it before, and it's also a good way to understand some of the stuff that makes all of this thinking possible. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was the NLP communication model, or you might also hear this sometimes called the map is not the territory. This is just about understanding that we take the outside world in, make sense of it, and develop our own unique map of the inside world that shapes our everyday existence. So, just to start off, have a think. What are the only five ways that we can take the world in? Big outside world, there's only really five ways we can take it in, that's through our senses. What we see, what we hear, what we smell, what we taste and what we touch. We might have something like a sixth sense intuition and there are other things that now are classed as sensory information. But if we go back to the basics of the five senses, that means the channels through which we can take the world in are limited to just those five things. We work out that there might be lots and lots of outside sensory evidence that we can pay attention to. So if you look at NLP books, the quote numbers in the region of two million, two million possible sensory pieces of information that we could pay attention to at any one time. Now that's vast. And we know instinctively that we're not able to take in all of that information. We know instinctively we're not able to hang on to that much. But it might surprise you if you don't already know that the research by a guy called Miller said we can only consciously hold on to five to nine things. He phrased it as seven plus or minus two things in our conscious brain. Listen to another podcast I've done about the conscious unconscious. But if you think about what we can consciously hold on to, that's just what's in our awareness at any one minute. So the things that we're focused on right this second. But if I mention to you, uh, what's your shoe size? What's your phone number? They'd pop straight into your head. They're very, very close to the surface. But the limit of our information that we're holding on to at any one time, between five and nine things, is effectively how the world is for us in that second. It's like a torch beam shining in a darkened room. We can only see what's in the torch beam. And for that minute when we've got that five to nine things in our brain, that is the limit of our conscious awareness. Everything else is sitting underneath, ready to fire off. Everything in your unconscious is working perfectly. 
and a lot of the stuff we'll talk about in NLP is about how do we harness our unconscious. Our unconscious is always in control, but our conscious kind of thinks it's in control. That logical, modern, human part of our brain that's good for thinking and remembering and understanding things. It's brilliant for all of that. But for running a human, it sometimes gets it wrong. We think too much. Again, talked about that in podcast one. So when we're filtering the world from millions of potential things down to half a dozen things, we've got to miss a lot. We've got to be very selective. And if we've only got capacity for about half a dozen things, if we've got something on our mind, if we've got a headache, if we've got a cold, if we're feeling cold, if we're hungry, how many people get annoyed and irritated if they're hungry, the ability to concentrate on the current world is, is limited. So if we've got those things going on in the unconscious and in the conscious, it, our capacity to listen and learn is very much impeded. So when we have our filters and we have no other distractions, we still only have about half a dozen things that we can pay attention to at any one time. So it's no wonder things get missed. It's no wonder we forget to do things. Because if we've got a list of things on a morning, we get up in the morning, right, I've got seven things to do. We get to work and our boss says, right, you need to do this priority. Something's got to drop off the other end. And that's why you get to bed on a night and you think, oh, I forgot to do that again today. Which leads to overthinking, which leads to problems with sleep. So please see podcast three for that. If you imagine an atlas or a sat-nav, it's a representation of the external world. So what we have to do is take all that information and all that detail and all that rich um, information and break it down into an easy-to-use shortened map within our head. If you think about a sat-nav or an atlas, it doesn't show all the trees, all the people, any animals. It cuts down and makes things so much more manageable. And we do that instinctively. So there are three main ways we do that. We've got to delete a lot of information, so get rid of it completely or not pay much attention to it. We've got to distort information to make it make sense to what's already in our unconscious, what we think is true, what our beliefs are. And we've got to generalise as well. We've got to make shorthand of things so that we don't have to retrain ourselves every day. If we generalise how to use a chair... We never need to learn that again. But if we had to, every single day when we saw a chair, think, what's that thing there? How do I use it? So we spend our life making sense of the world through these three types of filter. Deletion, distortion, and generalisation. So when we delete, we either ignore or quickly delete some stuff. And it works on the fact that if it's not relevant to us, we haven't got capacity to pay much attention to it. So... Until you found NLP, for instance, you've probably never even heard of it, or you've heard of it and you've missed it. If you've ever bought a car, suddenly you see that car everywhere when you didn't see it at all before. You see the same colour, the same registration, the same model, because until it was important and relevant to you, you didn't really notice it. Have you had that conversation where you've definitely said something to someone and they say, no, you didn't? You say, yes, you did. Yes, I did. I remember saying it. No, you didn't. Well, who's right? You're probably both right. You probably knew you said it, but as far as they're concerned, they deleted it. It didn't go into their system, so in their map, it didn't happen. So it's pointless arguing over stuff like that, although we probably still will. Or if 
child comes up and says, Dad, the window broke. They're deleting lots of information there, aren't they? They're deleting how it was done, who did it, where it was done, when it was done. You sometimes find that thing coming down in emails where management might say some people in this organisation are making mistakes. Well, if you read that, if it's some people and they're not saying what kind of mistakes, how can anyone act on that? Sometimes we forget that we've locked the front door. Who's done that before? Did I lock the front door? We've deleted ourselves doing it. Our unconscious has done it for us. We locked the door, but we didn't actually take a mental note or a picture of it. So a good thing to do if you do that a lot, you get to your car and think, did I lock the front door? As you lock in the front door, take a photograph in your mind's eye of you doing it. So your conscious knows that your unconscious has done it. We're going to cover this further in another podcast about how the conscious and unconscious work. And the unconscious is always in control, and usually you've locked the door. It's done it, but you just didn't see yourself consciously. You didn't see yourself doing it. If you've been driving on a motorway for 10 miles, you wake up and go, where was the last 10 miles? There's a lorry in front of you. Where's it gone? We deleted it. So, and I guess some of us play that game, where's my glasses and they're on top of your head, or where's my phone, where's my keys? So we've put them down somewhere and we haven't remembered where we put them because we unconsciously put them down while we're busy doing something else. We probably put them in the fridge or something daft like that. So we can delete lots of stuff. We can delete information. We can delete sensations. So some people say, oh, it's freezing cold in here, and you're thinking, I'm not noticing that at all. Or sometimes um, with my wife, Jackie, we were in a shop or somewhere, or the car radio's on, and a song comes on, and I say, oh, I haven't heard that song for a long time. And she said, what music? I didn't even know there was any music on. So we can delete anything in any sense. And then we distort. And distortion in this sense means we make stuff make sense to us we change the meaning of stuff sometimes meaning is really important to humans we are meaning making beings and nothing has meaning until a human puts meaning to it everything's just stuff it's all just stuff till a human puts meaning to it so what we'll do is we'll distort the world based on what we already have inside of our map so what we currently believe will seek to make more true so Nobody wakes up on a morning thinking, you know what, I'll see how many times I can prove myself wrong today. We tend to go out into the world creating evidence that our beliefs are more correct. And this is why sometimes people don't like or don't listen to arguments that you give them that contradict the beliefs. You might give them 10 points and they go, ah, you agreed agreed with me with half a point there, so you must be agreeing with me. So we tend to like to make our our beliefs about the world more true and that can mean we distort things well i know my boss doesn't like me because they never smile at me well how does not smiling mean someone doesn't like you i'm sure you've not smiled at people you like sometimes or people say oh they don't love me because they never buy me flowers well how exactly does buying flowers mean you love somebody necessarily have you ever bought flowers for someone you didn't love or does it have to be that way does that meaning we're making have to be the way So we'll distort things to make sense based on what we already believe. So if I believe, for instance, um, bad things always happen, I'll see things that are neutral and I will distort them. Or that guy on the corner, he's up to no good, he's going to commit a crime. We'll think this means that when it only means that to us. And then sometimes we'll think other people believe the same as us when they don't necessarily believe the same. We're all unique. So when we distort the world, we put our own slant on it, we put our own beliefs on it. 
And the thing about beliefs is that they're true for the person while they're holding that belief. Think about it. Have you got any beliefs that you don't believe? Of course you don't, because that's just something that you believe. You wouldn't have it as a belief if it wasn't true for you. So our beliefs are our truths. Again, we'll do another podcast on beliefs later on. But what I think is true for now is the way that I'll distort the world to make it more true. Because our unconscious likes our comfort zone, as if you remember, it doesn't like us to be wrong. The good news is you're always right. Has anyone ever told you that? You're always right. But you're only right for you. The difficulty comes when we attempt to make the rest of the world right in the same way that we're right. And they don't tend to like it. So this is where we can get into discussion and disagreement about what we believe to be true. And we'll distort the world to suit our own ends. And the third category is generalisation. This is making a rule about the world based on little or no evidence. So, for instance, if I say, all people from the northeast have flat caps and whippets and pigeons, um, it's obviously not true. But we'll make sweeping generalisations about people from certain places or people with certain jobs. Nothing ever goes good for me. It's always me that gets picked on. It's always me that's last. I always get overlooked for jobs. The world's always horrible to me. We can set up generalisations and extreme language about always or never about ourselves. And that is what's going to be true for us. The whole point here is, whatever I believe to be true, I will create more evidence to make it more true. I'll distort the world so that I will only believe, I'll, I'll make meaning that only I have on certain things about the way the world is. I'll delete things that might be useful. And I will generalise the world. So if I think I'm horrible and ugly and nobody likes me and you're my good friend and you come along and say, well, here's some evidence. Here's some stuff to show you that people really do like you and you aren't that way. You probably say, well, you're only saying that because you're trying to be nice. You're only saying that because you feel sorry for me. So I'll counteract any compliment you give me because I think you're just being nice because I don't believe it about myself. So I'll distort out good stuff very often. Now, of course, we have to distort, delete and generalise because the world's too big to take all of it in. So the crucial bit is which things you let in and how you let them in. So if I believe good things about myself, I'll probably distort in good things. So, for instance, have a think about this question. Do you think you're lucky? Do you think you're lucky or do you think you're unlucky? Or don't you think in terms of luck? There's been some research to show that people who think they're lucky have way more opportunities than other people. And that's only because they think these opportunities are possible and they think that they deserve these things. People who think they're unlucky will prove that true as well. They'll make sure nothing good happens. And if something good does come along, they'll delete it because it doesn't match their current belief in the world. So it's really important to understand that the map that we operate from on the inside is a distorted, deleted and generalised version of anything on the outside. So the stuff on the outside isn't what causes stuff on the inside. The stuff on the inside is only caused by what I'm running through my own unconscious brain. So I'll let the world in through my filters based on what I already believe about me and the world. And when I let that stuff in through my torch beam, it's like I'll go and find the nearest movie that I've run in the past to this experience. So I'll replay an old story to myself. A movie 
It's things I say to myself, talking to myself and the sounds. And they will run through my unconscious like it's actually happening, firing off all the chemicals like it's actually happening. Therefore, it'll create my feelings, which will then make me act, either run away or fight or flight or whatever it makes me do. So I'm not angry because you're making me angry. I'm angry because I'm angry myself in relation to the movie I'm running, in relation to what I allowed in through my already pre-selected filters. So if I believe that you're horrible to me, I'll be looking for that behaviour and I will only let in that behaviour. So the world outside is less important than the world inside. How I make sense of the world will be how my world is. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. I can't see something as true until I believe it. And when I believe it, I will use my filters to make it more and more true. So just to show you about this deletion thing, something I often tell my students and between now and next podcast, I just want you to notice how many yellow cars you notice. Now, yellow cars aren't that common, but now that I've said, just look out for yellow cars. You'd be amazed how many you see. I'm sure you'll see one or two at least between now and next time. So the things that let us know what's let in are based on things often that we've experienced in the past. So things that we've had as childhood experiences, the culture we've been brought up in, um, things that we have as values that we've been carrying through our life, our personal preferences, things we're interested in. If we were walking along and um, I had an interest in uh, model aeroplanes and it said model aeroplane exhibition, I'd probably see it and I'd want to go and watch it. Whereas if you're not interested in that, you probably don't even notice the poster. You probably, if you did read it, you wouldn't do anything about it. So we tend to filter out things that don't make any any sense or haven't got any interest to us. Um, And we'll also occasionally hallucinate things as well. So instead of deleting stuff, we'll actually make it up. We'll be sure something's there when it's not. I remember we were training um, a few years ago and we used to train in a hotel and book our food at lunchtime. And one of the guys on the course, on the NLP course, um, when his food came out, it was a baguette and it came out with some some crisps. Um, And he was insistent to the waitress that this comes with chips. I ordered it and it comes with chips, with fries. And she said, I'm sorry, sir, it doesn't. He said, I've been here loads of times. It always comes with chips. And because we're such good customers, they went away and got them some chips. And then he reread the menu just to confirm his belief. And it came with chips, crisps, not chips. So um, he apologised. But we can actually be totally sure something's there and something's not there. In the same hotel, one day, we got there and we were running a little bit late. This was many years ago. And we used to have a TV. You remember the old TVs used to wheel out in the school with a video or DVD underneath it? And we asked for that to be in the room every time we were there, and it wasn't there. So I went to the uh, receptionist and said, where's the TV? It's always supposed to be in this room. And she walked back down to the room with me, and she said, what you mean, that massive television in the corner over there? And it was there. And because I was a little bit panicky because I was running behind, and because I was saying to myself, the TV's not there, I bet the TV's not there, I bet the TV's not there, it created a hallucination of... Um, well a a de-hallucination it got rid of the television so we can delete things that are actually there or we can hallucinate things that aren't there and we're absolutely convinced that we're correct and this is why arguing in with people is often pointless because their map of the world is so definite it's real to them it's on the inside 
So we're not operating in the same universe. We all have a unique universe on the inside that we're operating from. So if we're all operating from this torch beam of ours, when we go into a meeting and everybody's torch beam is slightly in a different place, so someone's rushed in from another meeting, someone's worried about a phone call they've just had, somebody's thinking about what's happening tonight, somebody's ready to go on holiday, somebody's got a specific thing for the agenda that nobody else has got, we all walk into the meeting with a different torch beam focused on a different part of the darkened room. What we can learn with NLP and what I aim to take you through in, in bite-sized pieces, and obviously this is not the whole of the training, I'm giving you the headlines, but what I aim to do is to give you some ideas on how to get people's torch beams crossing over more, how to understand somebody's map inside their head when it's very different from yours. Because NLP is all about how do I manage my own internal world so I get the best out of me, and how do I understand that not everyone's like me? How do I understand that people, the different map that they've got, will mean that we have to communicate slightly differently? So in future podcasts, we're going to take this a bit further. We're going to talk about metaprograms. Now, metaprograms are the deepest unconscious filters that run usually outside of our awareness until we become aware of them because of NLP. And these are things which we can use as shorthand to almost have some traits of what people might behave like, which then it gives us a better idea of how to communicate with them, how to negotiate, how to influence, how to understand somebody and how they do what they do. So watch out for that in future podcasts. Always happy to have feedback. And this is the more training style for NLP that we do in this way this time. So please, um, there's facility to leave voice messages on the podcast. Happy to take any emails or other messages. Please like and favourite the podcast. Also, please share this amongst people who you think might benefit from listening to this. Always happy to have a chat with as many people as possible. Let's spread this good stuff. It's too good not to share. Let's spread it far and wide. So I'm Alan Johnson, that NLP bloke, and this has been your first instalment of your basic NLP skills. Please keep an eye out for future podcasts of bite-sized learning with NLP.